Welcome to Old Town New World. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Gervais. And we're here at the Mercantile talking about the ever-changing world of small town USA. Right, so today on the program, we got a very special guest with us, a um, wonderful guy, a man who's achieved a lot. He's done a lot for our community, for our state. His name is Gary Simrel. Um, Gary has been, he was in um, the South Carolina House of Representatives for, I believe, 30 years. Uh, he was the majority leader in the House, uh, which is quite a position to hold, and then he retired, and now he's at Winthrop University. So welcome, Gary. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're so glad to have you here. So before we get into South Carolina politics and the House and all that stuff, let's talk a little bit about Winthrop. What, what is your role over at Winthrop? So now Winthrop, I work with President Cerna. So he and I both started uh, July 1st of 2022, uh, me stepping out of my political realm, him moving uh, his family to Winthrop from uh, the University of Maine at Farmington. Uh, he was born in California, but actually grew up in the Southeast. Uh, he's a non-traditional student, decided to go back to uh, college. Winthrop was his place, which sparked uh, really his interest in academia. Mm. So he and I started at the same time. Here I'm coming off 30 years in public office and a business owner. The fortunate thing, we met together and he said, so what are your ideas for Winthrop? Well, I have a notepad and I pull the notepad out and I start reading just some different parts because not only am I a Rockillian, uh, but I'm a Winthrop alum. Mm. And so I started just reading this list of not, not necessarily plans and maybe not even goals, more ideas. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but I just had an interview with CN2 and I said those very things. Wow. I thought. It was meant to be. And so we've hit it off. I mean, That's Winthrop great. is a dynamic place. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there has been a time in its 137-year history, mind you, a time of atrophy, I think, from probably 2013 to mm -hmm. 2022. So nine to 10-year period. We went through two presidents during that time. Is that and so all? <laughs> that's all. So that's enough. I mean, take yeah, 137. Right. <laughs> Edward Cerner is our 12th president. So right, yeah, uh, the, the average is you stay a while. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, wow. and so looking at that, realizing there was, a, I call it a period of atrophy, a period of atrophy because there wasn't a lot of engagement with the community without consistent leadership mm -hmm. in any organization, yeah. you know, the, the, that that creeps in on you. And so here we start anew, realizing just who Winthrop is in the community, what we have been, how Winthrop came to Rock Hill. The story of Winthrop is remarkable. It's part of this community. It's the fabric in the community. And so if you start looking at it, how those pieces line up and how it's part of Rock Hill, it's an amazing story. Yeah. And so we don't want to lose that. And so really it's about invigorating the community and Winthrop. So if you look at Knowledge Park, the knowledge in Knowledge Park is Winthrop because when that began, Winthrop was wholly engaged. We became disengaged at some of the height of what Knowledge Park was and let me into. say, if I may, so sure. Knowledge Park is um, kind of an area from the Winthrop University through the old textile corridor down to the uh, kind of revitalizing downtown and then the backside of it. And it's this area where we realized, 50, you know, 12, 15 years ago that 
or 10 years ago, whatever, that there were more jobs in that area than may, than anywhere in the county. And they were all education, um, knowledge work, uh, technology, all kinds of compelling, interesting jobs. And that the university was going to be a critical component of the revitalization of that whole area. And as you said, when we started that that kind of initiative, Winthrop was right in the middle of it all, you know, at every meeting and right involved. And then, as you said, that kind of, they kind of backed out over time or kind of well, it internalized. It atrophied. Yeah. And, and that's, so, so nobody pulled away. Right. Uh, it just morphed to that. And so that, that became an issue. And so this president is a decision maker. He's a change agent. So right now uh, we are beginning a strategic plan. Great. Uh, you know, Winthrop University, I think Winthrop United, you know, in what we're doing because we're part of the community. The other thing that we're uh, doing currently is looking at an economic impact of what what does what is Winthrop within the community and, and how does that translate? You know, so the, the 500 people that are employed and human capital is the best capital and the best investment we could ever have. And those 500 people there, incidentally, about 200 of the employees at Winthrop are alone. Oh, wow. I mean, so they, they want to come back. Yeah. Uh, I had a professor uh, write me a, an email uh, just the other day, and it was profound. It was profound in her investment in the university, her love for the university. And I thought, this is this is what we have, but it's somewhat hidden. I mean, it's not something that we're seeing just out in the public, and that needs to change. Yeah. So looking at from an economic impact standpoint, looking at our campus master plan, who are we today? Who were we and what are we going to be tomorrow? And so the dynamics of the campus have actually changed. So when Winthrop came to Rock Hill in 1893, 94. So I'm uh, sorry, that would make it some of the oldest structures in town, right? Oh, no question about that. Yeah, yeah. No question about that. But but downtown obviously is as old. Uh, if you look at Rock Hill, 1852, uh, Winthrop, 1886, but that was in Columbia. So Winthrop didn't move to Rock Hill until 1893 is when Rock Hill won the bid. It took a lot of horses. It took a lot. Listen, it, it gets better than that. So not a, maybe even a mastodon back yeah. in the day. That's, a, that's, a, that's an inside joke. Yeah. So, but the city of Rock Hill competed with Anderson and Chester and Spartanburg to get Winthrop. Wow. And it went through two ballots. And the first winner of the ballot was Anderson. Really? So Winthrop was going to go to Anderson. And Anderson couldn't put together what they said they could put together. And Clemson was already there? Oh, Clemson. Well, Clemson and Winthrop share a lot. And Clemson, of course, is near Anderson, right, but right, not right near, right at Anderson. But I guess it was further away. This then. is for this, <laughs> and so we'll get to the Clemson part. Yeah. But this, this is for, uh, but Clemson, uh, you know, predates Winthrop. But what we have is this community, Rock Hill, a dynamic community, competing. They lose the first ballot. Anderson can't pull through with what they promise goes back to a second ballot it ends up being between Spartanburg and Rock Hill wow. and Rock Hill donates 31 and a half acres of land on Oakland Avenue Captain Stewart lived in what is now the president's house he agreed to donate his house as part of the acreage wow. in the house too and all the bricks that it would take to build main building, which is we now know as Tillman, and a sixty thousand dollar bond to get to get this this Winthrop going. And which would have been a whole lot of money. Whole lot of money. Yeah. And Rock Hill won. Wow. So here is Winthrop. So Winthrop started in eighteen eighty six in Columbia. 
Well, so you're from Rock Hill originally. Originally, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and you um you went to Winthrop. Uh, all you, seven years, yes. All seven mm-hmm. years. You, well, you don't want to fly through and miss the whole <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, I was on the scenic route, man. <laughs> I hear you. Circle it twice. And so, um, did you look at potentially going other places, or you knew you wanted to go to? No, Winthrop? you know, um, Winthrop chose me. I didn't choose Winthrop, and, and I and I'm blessed beyond measure because of it. But I had a job, and I had to pay my way through school, mm-hmm. and so I had to go where I already had employment. Mm-hmm. And so Winthrop became the logical choice for me. Interestingly enough, when I started going to Winthrop, I had a job on a moving truck, literally moving furniture. And I also had a paper route. I had the Evening Herald paper route, and then I picked up a Greenville newspaper route in York County, the rack route. So those are the ones that paid a little extra. Well, in the middle of my, I say that at the first two years of, maybe it was the third year of my college experience, the moving company, the they did estimating. So they would estimate a job and the crew, which I was part of the crew, we'd go out and move the furniture. Well, the estimator got fired one day. And so the, the general manager came out into the warehouse where we all were and he says, hey, aren't you in college? I said, yeah, you know math? Yeah, come with me. And so I, I went from having a part, you know, part-time job, summer job, to being the estimator. So I went from traditional student to non-traditional right, student. Right. So now I have a full-time job. Now I've got to figure out how to work my way through college and work around a college schedule to do that. So when I say it took me seven years, I'm not saying I didn't play around some because I certainly <laughs> had that propensity, but it was because I was trying to work my way my way through college. Now, technically, you never actually had to go to college. All you had to do was say yes to that guy's question. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So when you graduated from Winthrop, um, did you know you wanted to get into politics or did you? I knew I wanted to get into politics in the eighth grade. Okay. So my eighth grade teacher who I just attended her funeral last month. Oh, wow. Actually took our class. We went to Columbia. I was mesmerized by the process. We visited the house. We visited the Senate. We visited the governor's mansion, but I was taken aback by the house. I liked the activity and I thought when I was 13, I thought, one day I want to serve in here. Yeah. Well, that's one of those passing fancies, you know, I want a red car, whatever. And later on, I was at Winthrop working. I was working in my moving job. I graduate in 1991. Interestingly enough, John Hayes, who was just buried this past week in Rock Hill, who became a circuit court judge, he was in um, the, the house, had run for the Senate. He got elected judge. 1991. So Wes Hayes, who was in the house from this district, so it was John Hayes in the house, Wes Hayes succeeded him. He gets elected judge. Wes Hayes decides to run for John Hayes' open Senate seat, which left the House seat open. I thought, what a, what a, an opportunity. So I decided to run. 24 years old, wow. just graduated, and I decided to run. And so people said, look, you, you're, you're too inexperienced. You have no money. And you're a Republican. There's no way to win. So I said, well, okay. And I tried and I lost. They were absolutely correct. I did, I did not win. And I go back and look at, you know, kind of the dynamics of the play out of, of that race. Uh, it was a learning experience. And the best thing that happened to me in that race was losing. Losing taught me more than winning ever would have. In Now, if at that time, I would have disagreed with myself. Yeah, right. My yeah. Right. But looking back, even a couple of years later, it, it was the best. So 
now I'm a loser. So before you're a nobody, now you're a known loser. So uh, 92 comes and I decided to run again. And I thought, we'll go out a two-time loser, you know, or at least I'll be one and one. And amazingly, I won. Wow. And that so, was in 92? That was in, so I was elected in November of 1992. And then started in 93, I guess. Now. Uh, well, actually, start you start organizational session in 92, but okay. late 92. Gotcha. Yes, yeah, so I served from you know November of 1992 to November of 2022, 30 years. Wow, wow. 30 years. And, and had a lot of success in that time, I, I believe. I mean, I, I have heard a lot of people express admiration and respect for you who are both Republican and Democrat. And... Um, and what they always say is that you had a knack for bringing people together around big issues. I know one is um, infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and and tell us a little bit about it. I mean, I think it was a big win, what you achieved in uh, for South Carolina. Is that why they closed 77? They're fixing the bridge right now down there? Is that all yes. that, some of that money? A lot of it is that money, yes. yes. So tell us what that's so, about. So before we get to that, okay, I think please. it's important to, to note, because when I was elected, you know, I was a Republican. We were running against Democrats. That they were the bad guys, we were the good guys. To them, we were the bad guys, they were the good guys. When I got to Columbia, I realized I wanted to be effective for Rock Hill. Mm -hmm. In order to be effective for Rock Hill, I had to know how to reach a consensus, work with people. In order to reach a consensus, I had to be able to build trust or establish trust. In order to establish trust, I had to have a relationship. And so this process started happening with me. And I realized it wasn't partisan in Columbia. We were all South Carolinians. And so that began my journey of working with people, um, establishing relationships, learning that you don't operate in a vacuum. You don't always get your way. Um, you can't be a purist politically and expect to succeed. You have to learn to work with different dynamics. And South Carolina, by and large, is urban versus suburban. Rural parts. I mean, I think it was, you know, James Pettigrew had said a long time ago that, you know, South Carolina, you know, too small to be a country, too large to be an insane asylum. And so you, you start realizing as, as, as small as South Carolina is, it is very diverse. And so I start working from that standpoint. I get, I get to the point where infrastructure becomes, um, what we need to address. And so I was tasked with doing, uh, chairing this committee. And I thought, well, biased. I think DOT needs to be reformed, but we don't need any more funding. No, we're not going to raise a tax. Biased. I went in. So, but I did everything based on testimony. I started saying, what, what do we need to do in South Carolina to improve our roadways? I mean, obviously now we're in 2000, we had 4 million people. By 2010, we had 4.6. Today, we've eclipsed 5.2. And so that, you know, progression of, of population that we have. So we did testimony-based algorithms. You know, what, who are the stakeholders? What do we need? How do we do this? And true, DOT needed reform, but it also needed a steady stream of funding. And so we started taking that process and culminating around a plan and a mission to make that, to make that work. And so that was the beginning. It took three years to, to get a, to get a plan together that worked in the house now in the meantime i had become the majority leader of the republican caucus 
who doesn't believe in raising taxes. Here I am, the leader of the caucus, and my mission is to raise a tax. And we passed it in double, in triple digits. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And and so, but it took it took building consensus. It took bringing people from the rural folks in. Look, we never get any piece of the pie. We, we're always and and so we we started just taking obstacles, any obstacle that was there. And I worked tirelessly with my committee, and we would start figuring out the obstacle and figuring out a way forward and what we could do. Governor Haley was the governor. Absolutely opposed it, said we didn't need it, uh, said she would veto it. Finally, she came around and said, well, I'll agree to a 10 cent tax, but you have to reduce income tax over here. The problem is those aren't fungible accounts. When you pay a gas tax, it goes straight to the DOT. That is a consumption fee. Income tax operates government. So I've got two non-fungible accounts that she's wanting us to work through. That becomes very difficult. She ends up being the ambassador to uh, the United Nations under Trump. Henry Master comes in in 2017. He says, I love you, but uh, we're not going to pass the gas tax. <laughs> and so we worked through that. So 2014, 2015, 2016, finally in 2017, we passed the bill in both in both houses and government master vetoes it and we override the veto. Wow. Just just that process to go back through it. It, it was, you know, I, I don't take the credit for that. I was part part of a movement, um, but but that was amazing for for what we accomplished. Well, it's a big deal. I mean, I, the whole state, we all drive on the roads and the bridges and all that stuff. So it, you know, it's not regardless of and your. We all complain. I know, yeah, about it. But regardless of your politics, you you want to drive over a bridge and know you're going to make it to the other side. You know what I mean? Like that's got to be taken care of. Safety and so so the people yeah. complain even today. I mean, we we I mean there there's been billions and billions and billions of dollars put into the road system since 2017. The difficulty is you're looking at, talking about atrophy, you're looking at 30 years of neglect. And all of a sudden we pass something. So the last gas tax increase was 1987. It was three pennies from 13.75 to 16.75. Now you, you go 30 years and the growth was three and a half million people in 87 to 4.9 in 2017. Look at the traffic on the road, the growth in South Carolina, and 30 years of atrophy or neglect. And and how do you make that up overnight? You don't. And so it's it's been a process. But the process is working. Yeah. And the gas tax is interesting because it's it's a user-based tax. In other words, if you're getting gas, it means it's because you're driving on the road. So you're paying tax for driving on the road. Yeah. It's your toll. It's a toll, basically. Yeah. I yeah. bet in 1987 what was going on was people were driving around too much listening to Van Halen. Yeah, exactly. And they were like, we got to do something. It's actually when 1984 came out, when the <laughs> yeah. Van Halen 1984, so much driving was going on during that time. Yeah, that was. Yeah. So we got to mitigate this. <laughs> yeah. While that story sounds great, and I like it better than the truth, the truth truth is that Carol Campbell was our governor in 87 and he was courting a little company from Germany called BMW. Oh, and boy. part of the issue with BMW coming to Upstate was I-85 and the traffic and the, the need for infrastructure. And so he asked the legislature, he's a Republican, Democrat-controlled Senate, Democrat-controlled House. He asked them for a nickel, a nickel at the pump to help pay for all this infrastructure for this company that's going to do great things for South Carolina. They disagreed and said, we'll give you three pennies. So he took the three pennies. Yeah. That's the most crazy that politics has ever been. Chewy. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's the end of the story. Yeah. yeah. So why in the world, Gary, 
would you not still what what could possibly be going on nationally or statewide that would make you not want to be in politics right now well there how much time <laughs> do we have <laughs> um, so the, the toxicity level obviously is is higher now than than probably ever has been so when i was elected you know, and again, I think of myself as not old, but obviously something's happened. Um, but, but, you know, if you wanted to criticize me, you would have to write a letter to the editor or write me a letter or come to my house. I mean, I mean, you know, there, there's just not there's, there's no cell phone. There's a phone in your car, but it's hooked with a little squiggly antenna. Yeah, right. And then there's phones and there's mail. There is no email. You know, so that those things were changes in in the way we do business. But the fact is that for me. I felt a calling to run. Uh, I was defeated and thought, hmm, was that a wake-up call? And I thought, no, it was a part of the plan. And then I felt a calling to leave. But the toxicity level, that, that um, I call it really, if you look at, I mean, the bell-shaped curve is a scientific fact. And so if you look at a bell-shaped curve, when the ends of the bell-shaped curve, left or right, only listen to themselves in an echo chamber, they think they're always right. So if you have a national election and it doesn't go your way, everybody you know voted the way you did, it must be stolen or rigged or something's going on. And so we, we live in this kind of world now and it makes it more difficult to get something done. Again, it goes back to how do you build consensus? Trust relationship. You, you have to establish those things. So I look at Washington and I think it is totally broken. But the interesting thing about Washington is like the House and the Senate are so close in numbers that you can't have a mandate as a Republican or a Democrat. You can't say, we're only going to do it this way. And then... They're always like 50, 50, 51, 49. Yeah, so it's just like the debt ceiling right now. You know, I mean, they, they don't have a plan because it's just too close. And so... I think pragmatism is lost in a lot of, of what we deal with um, in public office. And I, I've, I've equated it to this because I had to sit back and I have to think about things. And I thought in the pool of political life, there are splashers and there are swimmers. If you're a swimmer, I don't see much of you in the water. You're, you're, you're moving. If you're a splasher, Everybody sees I, Everybody's looking. Yeah. And so when I, I, so I, I, I watch no talking heads. Yeah. <laughs> I watch no talking heads. I don't watch Fox. I don't watch C, CNBC. I don't watch any of those. Only because I want I want to get as unfiltered of a process as I can and an unbiased process as I can. But if even the national news, to me, there are about 10 people in Congress, not 535. Because I see those same people over oh, and over and over man, again yeah. because they're the splashers. And so we get hung up in the splashing. We don't get hung up in the swimming. And so we're missing that link. But splashers get the sweet, um, you know, news deals and become yeah. uh, make millionaires, to, you know, after they're Well, they so, so it's a mixed up system. But is it good for the country? No. Is it good oh, yeah. for democracy? It's not a question. It's absolutely yeah. not. And so, the, so those become, I mean, and sometimes you, you have to break it all down and kind of rebuild and so I wonder in this country, is that where we are? Are we at a point where, you know, we've got to kind of pause and figure out a way moving forward? And I think maybe this this level of intensity in D.C., South Carolina, by the way, is not D.C. Uh, there's a group trying to make us D.C. It has it has a achieve success yet uh, it's more like a gnat so it's not going to bite you or eat you but it's certainly driving you crazy from having peace you know yeah. well, so, you know, like, i think that you said with the internet i 
Jason, you used to do a lot of talks where you would point out just how massive the internet was in the existence of human beings. And like, you cannot underestimate what it means. And I guess there was a- Fire the wheel and the internet. Yeah. (laughs) And there was this hot minute where we all kind of felt like, oh, this will only be positive you know, yeah, right. and it's like <laughs> some of us did. Some people did. But I mean, it's so massive that, and we're still. It's it's not mysterious that we're still in this like snapback of this massive change. Well, it's, so here's an interesting concept with that. So, I've heard over the years people complain about the media. Now, oh, the media is biased, but the media, they're journalists. They still have to, you know, have fact checks they still have to make sure they're corroborated in in you know what what they're talking about and so some of the very group that complains about the media believe anybody that gets on the on the twitters or right. the interwebs and starts spouting off something i say why are they more reliable <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden but we're believing them yeah but we're not believing someone who has to go through a process but, but can you blame us i mean it, there's been institutional lying going on i yeah. believe to, i mean that's now been somewhat proven and and exposed and and settled on in court and all that it's like massive that has huge impact on and, and implications on on democracy and on the way people think and how right. their minds work. Right. So w- we can't rely on those things that are branded and corporate and big to be telling us the truth. And it makes us think. And I'm I'm older now, and I, and I bet younger people even more so. Like, makes you think: Can could we ever believe these institutions just because they have all the money? Doesn't mean they're telling us the truth. Right. Yeah, and that's a scary place to be well, in. It is. Yeah. I just want to point out that this particular news outlet is biased the way that McDonald's is biased to use sodium and Starbucks is biased to use <laughs> caffeine. They're making right. a product for people. They're not trying to control anybody. They're turning up the volume for the people that are asking them to turn the volume up and doing whatever they got to do to make money for their audience. They're making a product for that audience and they want that product. But there's different kinds of biases that exist in media. Like, I think that the idea that the media is liberal comes from uh, an almost an organic bias because a lot of kids who choose to go into the media arts and things uh, and then go into journalism are more liberal-leaning just kind of organically and naturally. That's very different than an institution that's being strategically organized to manipulate the thinking of millions of people for the purposes of of manipulating power and control. That's a very, very different type of bias, you know what I mean? And and I don't know which uh, uh, news channels are the latter. I wholeheartedly believe Fox is, but it could be others too, that and they're all about making money. I mean, it seems like. Yeah, you that's know. what I'm saying. They're, they're making that feedback loop for the people who want that feedback loop. Yeah, right. Just everybody's angry and everybody's making money over it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the Dominion suit with, with Fox is a, is a prime example of yeah. that and in, in how those things work. And then if you get hung up in the social media, you think everybody's a little bit mean. Then you go to a place like this and people yeah. start talking. You realize, you know what? We get, nice. we get along. Yeah. 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 We, we're, you know, we, we respect each other. Um, the only time I run into people that I think are like really 
kind of obnoxious are people who are clearly wrapped up in culture war stuff and yeah. they can't do anything else. They can't talk about anything. But it's funny. You're talking the story about people that are like a libertarian running as a Republican and calling you not a Republican. One time me and Micah got harassed at a bar by this really drunk guy who was yelling about Yankees and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it turned out he was from Ohio. And I'm like, dude, I was born down the road. Like my family's been here since the 1700s. And you're yelling, you're like, tell me I'm not like Southern or something. So that's where the bumper sticker comes from. Yeah. Go back to Ohio.com. So, I mean, do you feel like, I know that your, your role at Winthrop seems to be, um, to really, because you have, you know, obviously so many connections down in Columbia and you've done so much work in consensus building and things with people all over the state. So I imagine you're a valuable asset in terms of helping Columbia see Winthrop and see the success Winthrop's having and, and what, what that could amount to. But do you feel like you also have uh, a responsibility or interest maybe in um, helping young people understand some of this civic stuff or is that not really your thing now? It, it mine's all. And so it's really Winthrop with it right now Winthrop within the community, who we are in the community, making sure the impact is there, that that the meshing between Winthrop and Rock Hill community is there. But it but it goes beyond that. So it goes beyond that to the to the Columbia side, really to partnering, collaborating with our fellow our peer universities, whether that be Lander or Coastal or Francis Marion and College of Charleston, even the Citadel for that matter, you know, because we all are under the umbrella of higher education. Now, if you start take, breaking that down, what what makes college possible? How does how does a college become successful? It's it's students going to college. Well, part of the issue today is that Generation Z, many think that. They don't need college, you know, and so I I started doing this in in 2020, and why I started doing I don't know, but I, I did, and I started studying history 100 years ago today, so you know right now uh, I'm studying April of 1923, wow. which is dynamic because Warren Harding is president. He he will die in August in office, um, and Calvin Coolidge, his vice president, will take over. But but he he ran with a slogan in 1920 of return to normalcy, and return to normalcy because World War One. In 1917, pandemic. and the Spanish flu in the wow. pandemic. And so people were on edge. And and you, you got a war, you've got a pan. I mean, all that all that's happening at the same time. Or the ending of one, the beginning of the other. I mean, it was tumultuous times. And so return to normalcy. Night the nineteen twenties, do did anybody know what they were called? The the roaring twenties. Why roaring? Because we were rebuilding everything in America, industrialization of America, the automobile, entrepreneurs, people that had storefronts, just like you see downtown, right here in downtown was happening. Those things were happening. So I, I, I moved forward 2023 and look downtown. Look at the entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so we, Walt Disney started this company in 1923. Oh wow! So, <laughs> so, so we're we're seeing Never that over. <laughs> so, so this is confidence building to say it may look different, but it is it is a repeat wow. of 100 years ago in entrepreneurial spirit and how things happen. And so I think, you know, there's hope there. Now, the, well, I'm now, not looking forward to, night, to 2029. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to pay attention. We'll have to pay yeah, attention right. to what goes on. I'm not saying, but, you know, I, so I, I, yeah, so I started looking at, at, at every president. How many one-term presidents were there? And why were there one-term presidents? Other than folks that died in office. Right. And every time it was the economy. 
until 2020. It wasn't the economy in 2020. The pandemic set in, but that was another dynamic change. So in, in the history of America, if you start looking at, at one-term presidents, you know, yeah. that, that was, so it just changed. But I say, I was thinking history to study, not to live in. You don't want to live in the past, but you want to study the past as, as you move Amen. to the future. And so Winthrop is like that too, because it, it, I mean, those buildings on campus, the oldest is 1886, but it didn't get here to 1936, but the oldest building technically is 1894. That's main building, Tillman Hall. And then I start, I walk the campus. You can feel the history. Yeah, I was thinking, the other day. embrace embrace what that is, but then take it for the future and make it better. But but it take it, that's that's human human capital has to make that happen. All right, so you know, education is changing a lot. Higher education is changing a lot. You know, there's a argument that people a lot of people put out there, and it's probably valid in a lot of ways about questioning. Uh, you know, what we've just adopted is for decades and decades that the social and kind of personal achievement is, of course, to go to college, You'd be the first one to go to college in your family, whatever it is. So, and then it became kind of a social norm that you kind of have to go to college. Used to, it seems like it was because it would give you access to a world that maybe as a blue collar worker in a factory, you don't have access to financing, opportunity, people, white collar jobs, whatever it is. And it was just a, almost a cultural act. It's like getting into the country club, you know, and, and everybody's trying to get in. Then it became norm where almost you have to have it or you are lacking in some way. You can't even get a job. Most, it's like, I love the funny comment of, I'm glad I got that college degree so I can sit in this box out by the interstate and fill out this spreadsheet. <laughs> and um, so it's like, you have to have it, whether it's culturally or job or whatever, it's almost forced. Now there's this revolution or whatever you want to call it, or this backlash around, well, no, I can just get training and a specific skill and then I can go work in this. I don't need all that cost and all that ex institutional experience and, and all that. And you can talk about all that stuff. But my question is at the heart of, I believe that there is value in the liberal arts component of a university education to expose people to history and civics and culture and arts and religions of the world and all these things to make you a better citizen, a smarter, broader citizen, and not just do I make the money back in the first 10 years and therefore is it a fiscally responsible investment in a, of a training investment? So my question to you is about, do you see the value of the liberal arts component of the university education? Are y'all investing in that at Winthrop? And how do you get the country to buy into that? Well, first, everything you said has, has truth in it. Okay, so that, that's number one. Num number two, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that, that while there's an investment in anything we do, whether that's sweat equity or dollars that you pay, uh, those things make a difference. I think that there was a time when having a college education was a class issue. I mean, th there was no way to pay for college unless you had family wealth or the ability to pay for it. And so it was the haves and the have-nots. So you start looking at the Harvards and the Yales and the Princetons. And so that, you know, we, we would never be able to attain, you know, that, that kind of education. Well, fortunately, as, as the population grew, a Winthrop came about. And what was Winthrop's role? A Winthrop's role was to train women to become educators. One of the buildings on campus that was built in 1929, speaking to the 20s, um, was home economics. Mm. Well, we don't, you know, that's not there anymore. It's now the School of Business. And so, the you know, things change. But the fact is, the, the liberal arts, and that's the other thing, label, liberal. Mm. So you're thinking, 
that, that, that's not what that means. Right. But, yeah, but the yeah. liberal arts part of, of Winthrop, of Winthrop University uh, becomes important because it is, it's a broadening of your mind. I said, you know, we're all pencils, let's say. How you sharpen that pencil dictates how you get to write. Now, for, for many people, that may be a skill. And we have York Technical College here, and York Technical College is fantastic for an associate's degree, learning a trade. I mean, it, it is really the backbone of the economy uh, in order to make that happen. Winthrop, as an example, in this community, uh, has a entirely different product base. But interestingly enough, you can go to York Tech and get an associate's degree in nursing and then go to Winthrop and get a BSN. All of a sudden, you start talking about economics, as you mentioned. There, there's a difference there. So it really depends on you know what your goal is in life. But anytime you stretch your brain or stretch the ability or be challenged in something, I think becomes very important. And I think that the, the word, another label I hear today is indoctrination. We don't want someone to be indoctrinated. Well, well, part of the, the human, and, and you mentioned your family. I mean, like, you know, Nivens, you know, God barely made it through and here you are today. Yeah. That's a testament to human strength and stamina, okay, that we do make it through, to be challenged, to be stretched, to learn to think, not what to think, but to think. And I think that's what I learned that in college. That's what I, man, I, I did a humanities program at um, UNC Asheville. Everybody that attended UNC Asheville had to take humanities every year mm -hmm. and um, to graduate. There's four of them and you had to take one a year. And it starts out with the beginning of human civilization and ancient religions. And just the fact that people who are who aren't into thinking about that stuff and are just there to get their you know business degree or whatever, and they're just there because they that's what you do after right. to to have to you know get exposed to the fact that there's all these different cultures and ways of thinking and how the beginning of you know Christianity started and all, just all that kind of stuff really broadens people's minds. It's not it, nobody was being told that what they think, what they what their parents believe is wrong. From my experience, they were being shown all this other stuff that happens around the world and has happened for history. And to me, it just made me, I think, a, a wiser person. No, no doubt. And so, you know, there, there's knowledge and there's wisdom. You know, they say knowledge is what you use to make a life. I mean, make a salary. Uh, you know, wisdom is what you make a life with. Right. You know, yeah, so, that, so there's there's the living, and then there's the uh, there's the wisdom and 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 the life. And so those things come together. But again, each person is different. So everything is not for everybody. But to categorize one as bad and lift up the other, I think we do a disservice. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I tell you, as I walk around the campus, this is what becomes because it's that living of the history to see the art and then say oh art's bad well if, if you'll embrace what it is and what you can learn from it uh, it becomes a very important just as I said starting to look at history 100 years ago which is a short time in, in the matter the older I get the shorter time it becomes <laughs> but but to look at that and realize just what has happened during that those times oh, of a hundred years it is incredible but to expand your mind expand your mind to to learn more yeah. about things and I mean it, you're a historian you learn about this stuff on your own time and in your studies and and it hasn't made you a raging liberal. <laughs> well, and that's the I other. Mean, so I, I started uh, college as a Republican at Winthrop University, which is a liberal arts college. Um, 
You know, I have a Bachelor of Science degree from Winthrop, and I left as a Republican. You know, so it, but but I will tell you this: it broadened my knowledge. And here's the other interesting dynamic for me is that we talk about this. When I got into the business college, my professors, uh, we never talked about politics, but they were great. I mean, I, I wouldn't have made it through without their sincere um, lift and help as, as well, I needed good. it. And so I, I was just thinking, you know, when I look back, it, it's fondness. I was thinking these, these, these folks helped me get my degree. They weren't, they weren't checking boxes. And you they, feel they like it's the helping. same way now at Winthrop? Yes. I, I'll tell you, it's interesting. So as I walked around campus and talked to deans, talked to VPs, talked to professors, there is a profound feeling of investment and commitment mm -hmm. to Winthrop University. It, it, it's it's I, Actually, that's my biggest surprise. Mm. I wouldn't have thought that. I remembered it from my day and said, well, back in my day, you know, but but it, it's there. It's there today. Yeah. You know, it's a hidden gem uh, for many aspects of Rock Hill. But that's part of what we're doing is bringing yeah. is bringing that out. And it, it's just amazing to see who serves, why they serve. And here's the other thing we get hung up in. And that's a dollar value of something. Mm -hmm. And we try to put dollar values on things. And really. What, what could you give for having better understanding of something? What's it worth? What's peace worth in your, in your life? And I, I had a, a guy told me one time, we're talking about investments. And I said, every time I invest in stock, I don't get, I bought Bitcoin, anything I, it always goes down. You know, I'm, I'm, I buy high and sell. Oh, like, I bought Enron, I bought yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. I, I don't know what's wrong. And I was just thinking, you know, that, and I, said, I said, yeah, what is wrong with me? So. My, this guy was telling me, he says, yeah, he says, you know, I don't own any stock. I invested in real estate, you know, because I could look look at it and see it. And I thought, worst comes to worst, I'll plant green beans and tomatoes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, but he had peace. Yeah. You know, and I said, hey, Jason, did you see what he made in the stock market? <laughs> Went through the roof. He says, I'm happy for him, yeah. but my peace is worth more than all his money. Yeah. And I thought, you know, so, well, so, I hope so my son's getting peace out of the college of Charleston because it's costing me a fortune. Yeah. Well, the, well the, the housing is what gets in the college of Charleston. My daughter went to college of Charleston. The first year was okay. The second year she moved out. And so two, three, and four, I spent a lot more in real estate. We're than starting that right now. He's got an apartment. He's moving into an office. Good luck. I know. Jeez, man. I know. So, but, but, but it's the things that enrich you internally and teach you different things. Mm -hmm. I guess it's, it's not the black and white, it's the grays. And I think the beauty of higher education, liberal arts college, oh, it, it teaches you that that nuanced difference. Yeah. 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 In your hometown, back at your alum, what was he, alumni, alum? alum I, I'm an alumni as an individual. I mean, an alumnus as an individual, I'm an alumni as a group. Okay. Yeah. You're a group? Yeah, I'm part of a group. Yeah. <laughs> part of a group. Sixty thousand okay. of us, by the way. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so you're, so you're in your back in your hometown. You're back at your uh, 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 alma mater. That's mm -hmm. where I was looking for. Alma mater. Yep. You're, uh, you had an accomplished career as a, as a, a, a service of the people, servant of the people down in Columbia, and um, now you seem to be jazzed about what you're doing for Winthrop. So, I mean, it seems like things pretty good for you for Gary Simrel. You know, and it's interesting, yes, is, is the short answer. Um, and I don't know how much of that I planned. Right. And so I, I was thinking if you sit back and just, you know, embrace 
don't look, but embrace kind of what's happening around you. Things things will work out. Yeah, you know. But but there's the the problem is in comparing. So if I say, you know, man, and so I think the Instagrams of the world, you know, teach us to to compare. And typically you only compare yourself to somebody you think is better anyway. So it's like you're you're already defeated before you get started. So those are part of the issues. But I think that that means, you know, the old saying to that own self, be true. Recognize who you are, you know, what you can accomplish. Uh, and it's never by yourself. It's always with someone. I mean, I always I joked in Columbia, and it wasn't a joke. I said, you know, somebody asked me what had I accomplished in 30 years in Columbia, and I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> we, we yeah. accomplish yeah. things, and and without without the we construct, there, there's no way to make it happen. You know, and so recognizing that you're a part of a community, you're part of a solution. Um, is there still this kind of spirit down in Columbia, like the one that I'm hearing from you? It's changing, um, unfortunately so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, the pendulum always swings. You know, that's why if you look at history, you think, gosh, this would be terrible. I often go back to politics. You say, gosh, the Democrats will never win again. The Republicans will never win again. Well, let, let's take the Republicans for a second. So you had Herbert Hoover in the late 20s through 32, the last Republican president. 32, of course, we're in the middle of now the Depression. FDR wins. He serves an unprecedented, you know, three terms. And who comes in after him? Harry Truman. Four, five. I mean, I mean, look yeah. at that. So if you were living in that time, an entire generation yeah. passed. It's almost like being a Carolina of Panthers fan. You know? yeah. <laughs> that no wins, no wins at all. And and so for them in that, it's like, we're not coming back. And then what happens? Eisenhower comes in. And so Eisenhower serves from 52 to 60. And of course, Kennedy comes back after that. So it's just an eight year stint for Republicans. Then, of course, if you move forward to 68, that's Nixon coming in. So I just think if you if you look decadently, if you will, or generationally, it's amazing to see you know what is happening now in our world that seems like forever. But in reality, it's a snapshot and, and the pendulum is always swinging. Yeah, and that's interesting. It's, it's even though, like I said, I think it might, it's fear that keeps people having a small world. And I think that's what drives them to have this. I'm going to look at this, whatever news outlet, and I'm not going to look up from this. And it's this tunnel vision. And that, that's really, really horrifying for anyone to do. So I think it's fear that puts them there. Um, but the reality is, if you expand your horizons, you're talking about looking at history. And, you know, you're talking about like human history. It, 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 no, it's the opposite happens. Like if you just step back and look at the world for what it is, even though it seems scary, ultimately you're going to be comforted by the fact that you're part of a process that is kind of really predictable. And, you know, you, you got to look away from that stuff. When I was elected, uh, one of the people that I, that I met who was my senior actually was an African-American lady by the name of Gilda Cobb Hunter. And she was terrible. I mean, I was just like, you know, how in the world did she get elected? Well, to her to her community, they loved her. Over time, she and I became great friends because I had to take my lens off and put her lens on. So here's an African-American woman who is striving to do great things and getting pushed back at every turn. So does she come, does she become a little bit, you know, fortified in what she's doing? Absolutely she does. But She's one of the best people to ever serve. 
because she's looking out for her community. She wasn't looking out for a headline. She, she was serving a constituency. And I thought, you know, if we start embracing more of those things that aren't like us and trying to understand more things that aren't like us, getting out of the echo chamber, we're, we're all broadened. Everybody's broadened. But we get, we get hung up. And I think sometimes stereotyping and bigotry are probably two of the biggest obstacles for success for humanity. Absolutely, yeah. So, so uh, to me, I know that Winthrop is undefeated in football, so that's awesome. Yes. Congratulations. But yeah, um, As of today. As of today, yeah. Um, and I know that you're surely exploring, does Winthrop do this? Does Winthrop do that? What What is Winthrop's identity? You're about to go through a strategic plan and all that. Um, but one thing that I've always felt um, is that Winthrop, and I don't know if this is a the best direction, but I'm just saying what I've always thought is that Winthrop is different from USC, Clemson. Like to me, USC and Clemson is all about, you know, football and frats and party. Um, uh, Charleston's all about, you know, uh, flip flops and party. <laughs> and then Winthrop was about the arts, music, education, these things like that. And we're in these, uh, uh, music scenes around here over the courtroom we play shows and stuff and the amount of kids that come out of Winthrop that are artists and they sell their stuff over there and they're musicians and they it's kind of that kind of vibrancy uh, of uh, people that are in that kind of I, and I thought that could be potentially a interesting strategic direction to differentiate between like hey if you want the uh, kind of fraternity culture great good for you go to USC if you want a more interesting artsy kind of, and I don't know if that's the direction you're going musical but what do you think about that well again you got truth you know everything you said so here's here's a sports dynamic for you so if you think about football in South Carolina what what teams come to mind Clemson Carolina if you think about women's basketball especially Dawn Staley and the Fighting Gamecocks is just in the old dominant. If you think about men's basketball, we went to the big dance. Winthrop is the winningest program for men's basketball in the state. No way, that rules. Way so, but but sometimes those story those stories aren't told, (laughs) and and through you know how we conduct things and so I think that's a big part of Winthrop mm-hmm. is is the athletics but that's not how we started so you know Winthrop has had several names you know through the years we didn't become Winthrop College until 1920 so you know we were Winthrop Normal and Industrial College for women you know so that's who we were and we went through, and didn't have Winthrop Training School and then it wasn't until the late 60s early 70s that Winthrop started going co-ed unofficially and then officially co-ed in the early 70s so it changed again then you flashed to 1992 the year I got elected I was the last graduating class of Winthrop College it became Winthrop University after that so so if you start looking at it kind of how Winthrop has transitioned through the years evolved if you will and and those things it's very important again the pendulum swinging but for Winthrop if you look at Rock Hill as an arts community for Winthrop to be part of that it is is absolutely fantastic so the partner the collaboration if you look at what's happening downtown with hopefully the seed money's in place for Performing Arts Center. Mm-hmm. You got the Sports and Technology Center. 
we have a we have a nationally ranked esports team at Winthrop. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So I mean, th- yeah. things are happening again. What we have to do is just start showcasing that more yeah. and more and more. But we're we're part of the community, and so the reason to have this economic impact study done is so that people get to see exactly what it is, you know, that Winthrop is all about. The key in this is this branding. It's the branding of who you are. And you mentioned this. So who is Winthrop within the community? It is a brand and the brand becomes very important in who we are and how we do things and how we grow. And so as I think about strategic planning for Winthrop, economic impact of on the community at Winthrop, a master plan for the campus at Winthrop. It's all about a brand, but it's a brand that fits in the community. So somebody told me one time, they said, Clemson is a college town. I, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Winthrop in Rock Hill, Rock Hill has a college in its town, right. but it is not a college town. Mm-hmm. I had to stop, I had to pause on that one just a minute. And I thought that's true. So we're a part of the community but but that meshing of of that brand becomes important. I think that's what, as we enter the 138th year of Winthrop, that that's what we start talking about. Yeah. And, and incidentally, uh, on the 19th of April, 130 years ago, is when Winthrop was given the green light to move to Rock Hill. So Winthrop has hosted for 24 years, 25th year, the silver anniversary will be 2023, of International Disc Golf. I mean, this is the masters of disc golf. Yeah. And it's held right here in Rocky. I mean, yeah. I mean wow. these are big at things. Winthrop at, at Winthrop Lake. At Winthrop Lake. They went at the farm, 309 acres at I Winthrop I still call farm. it a farm. Is that what people call it nowadays? You can call it whatever you want. Okay. The, lake is man, the lake is man-made. It was not originally there. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it Winthrop went, went farm. farm. It's yeah. 309 acres. 309 acres. So they thought the Panthers' place was big. It's 247. 309, by the way. I saw Hootie and the Blowfish at the shack at the farm. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. See? So, so I mean, the, the history just keeps, I mean, it, 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 it regenerates. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's what we're going to talk about. So disc golf, 25th anniversary. So Winthrop is now starting disc golf. Um, and, and so I think we'll have some conversions. Chuck Gray, who's our athletics director, is just an absolutely, he, he's one of the most authentic and genuine people I have ever met. And um, and he's the best salesman I've ever met because he's not selling anything. He's telling you a story. Yeah. Speaking of salesmen, so you, you sell cars, right? That's I, one of your business. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, 22 uh, years. 22 years, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So were you into higher-end cars? or just Yeah, so, so he, he, this is this is an interesting story. Um, well, maybe not to you, but it is. <laughs> um, so I was in the moving business, remember? I paid my way through and become an estimator. Well, it, it became successful for me. I mean, I was getting paid commission. And so, I, you know, I did all right. And so I... My daughters and I, they were little. One was born in 95, the other born in 98. Remember, I ran for office in 92. So I was working for the moving company when I ran for office. I asked my boss if I could run. He said, sure. So it wasn't a problem. And so we're watching Mary Poppins. And this is about the year 2000, maybe they were like five and two or three. So we're watching Mary Poppins. I had never seen Mary Poppins. I don't wow. know what, I, I mean, I grew up in, it was made in 64. How I missed it, I don't know. But anyway, I'd missed it. So we're watching it and all of a sudden, I was Mr. Banks. I wasn't, I, I wasn't Bert, right. Dick Van Dyke's character. And so I'm watching it. And so one of the lines in the movie is, when they had the run on the bank and the kid, you know, everything's a, a, a Twitter now. And so they're, and so they're, they're doing it. And, and so Dick Van Dyke tells the children, 
Michael and Jane, he says, um, they said something about daddy being in jail. And so Dick Van Dyke Burt says, jails come in all shapes and sizes. It's what entraps you. It's what cages you. And he you said know? it in the worst English accent ever <laughs> well, recorded in history. Yeah, right. Right. yeah, we'll overlook that. <laughs> yeah, right. so, but I thought my my jail is shaped like a moving truck. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, I started just thinking through that. Well, then all of a sudden, September 11th happens. Mm. So I'm watching like everybody else. You know, I'm watching the news. I see these planes hit, and I'm seeing these people come out all covered. And there's this one man coming out of the building. And he's like got soot all over him. He's holding something, and he's got a Starbucks coffee in Because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have Starbucks back then. Yeah. That was on. You could only get that in New York yes. or West Coast. So he's walking out with a Starbucks coffee in his hand. And I thought, gosh, the fragility of life. Yeah. So there he is. He's got his Starbucks, his Mac, whatever he's, you know, and all of a sudden he's lucky he didn't die. A lot of people did. And I thought, you know, you got to pursue what what you want. And it goes back to the peace thing. And I thought I always wanted to be in the car business because I love cars, but I was always scared. Either I didn't know what to do or I would fail, whatever. That's why I never put my name on anything. And um, <laughs> so I... um. I decided that, so that was September 11th. I got my dealer's license October 8th. Wow. Well, Gary, this has been really a, a great podcast. You've been a wonderful guest. Good gracious. The time just flew. It does, yeah. Good it sure does when you're having a good time. And Can't I can't wait for you to edit this down to 20 minutes. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's it's actually it's actually going to be three minutes long. Yeah, <laughs> but just sped up. Yeah, yeah, but just sped up real fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's it's a it's an honor to have you on the podcast. I um I have I have always had respect for you because, and I've known about you. We didn't get to know each other until just recently, really. But I've always known who you were, and um. Just because I was fascinated with um, someone who their labels were different than mine, but they but you seemed pretty similar to me and like just thoughtful and 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 succeeded in pulling people together to accomplish things for the state that shouldn't be political. I mean, repairing bridges and funding technical colleges is not political. It shouldn't, and be, should it shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. So, to me, I've always thought that was really cool. Um, and so I appreciate you taking the time to, to meet with us today. My privilege. Absolutely. And um, Chris, it's always great to hang out with you. Yes, thank you. I did a lot of listening today, and I didn't provide a lot of uh, comedy. a lot today, actually. Pro- maybe you, above you, average. You, you added some of the best pieces. I know. Nice. You're like the salt and pepper in the recipe, Ooh. man. Uh, you really it only are. tastes good with you. Exactly. I'm the salt and pepper in the rice. <laughs> 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 it, Micah, if you would, Silent Mike, if Silent Micah would have been quieter, it would have been better. Yeah, he's really. like the sugar in the spaghetti. He is. It's like too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's the ketchup in the spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> Just doesn't belong. Yeah. But uh, so thank you, Silent Micah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. This was a really wonderful episode. Yeah. And Gary, thank you so much. We appreciate you being oh, here. Absolutely. All right. And we'll see you next time on Old Town, New World. Peace out. Peace out.